0: 20 Vision. I'm your host, Miliana Boche.
1: And I'm Maria Tusi.
0: And today we're going to be talking about the elections.
1: But not the one that this podcast is about, the November 5th elections from earlier this week.
0: Usually we start our podcast with headlines, but today our podcast is going to be solely headlines as we discuss the results of the elections from the New York elections and then also some notable mentions from the rest of the country, including Kentucky, Virginia, and Ohio.
1: That's right. So let's... Get right into it. Um, right here in New York City we had some uh, you know there were there were some public offices up but no one really cares about them. So we're just going to go on to the ballot measures. Um, there were there were five uh, ballot measures to amend the city charter. Um, also known as referendums in most other places, but here we call them ballot measures. Um, So let me just run you through them real quick. The first one is for ranked choice voting, and there's a couple caveats to this. First, we're going to explain what ranked choice voting is.
0: Ranked choice voting allows voters to vote for candidates that would not normally be voted for because they're not seen as viable winners. So let's say that you wanted to vote for a Green Party candidate. In ranked choice voting system, you could vote for the Green Party candidate first and then put your second choice as a Democrat candidate, for instance.
1: In the system that we currently have called the first-past-the-post system, uh, people would be discouraged from doing that because they know that their Green Party candidate wouldn't have a chance of, of getting a, a, a true majority, which is what you need in a, in a first-past-the-post system where you only vote for one candidate.
0: That's why a lot of candidates when, for instance, if you think back to the 2016 election, a lot of people said that a vote for Johnson was a wasted vote. And that's because he wasn't a viable winner. Ranked choice voting would make that not a wasted vote by taking any votes that would have gone to Johnson, for instance, to send them to Hillary Clinton.
1: And ranked choice voting is also known as instant runoff voting because what it does is when you rank, the, let's say there's five candidates on the ballot, right? You rank them in order that you prefer. Um And another important thing is you don't have to rank all of them. You can only, you could just rank the ones that you, you could rank three of them and then just not keep the other two. The ballots would all be, would all be measured. And then all of the, the number one candidates would be tallied up. And if someone, if a, if a candidate has a majority, then they win. If no candidate has a majority, then the bottom candidate is, is eliminated and they go again and they keep doing this process until there's someone with a majority.
0: Ranked-choice voting, although a really great idea, is actually considered somewhat revolutionary because it's never really been done in most city or state elections. So New York City is really trying to take the first step to show that this can become a viable option for states across the country.
1: Right. It is very rare. There's only nine states that have any municipalities in them that that use ranked-choice voting. And even for New York, this um, city charter amendment, only. first of all, it only goes into effect in 2021, so it's not going to be relevant for the 2020 election but it also only applies to primary elections and special elections.
0: What else happened on the New York referendum list? So
1: the next one was the civilian review of police officer complaints. Um, so this is this is kind of an amendment to a process that already exists. There's this um, board in New York City called the Civilian Complaint Review Board, and there are 13 members on it. And what this ballot measure added was two things. was um, First of all, there's going to be New members to the civilian complaint review board, one chosen by the public advocate, one chosen by the mayor and one chosen jointly by the speaker, of the council and the mayor. So it's expanding the board that that reviews police conduct uh, allegations. And and the the point of this is that it's a civilian board, that it's not involved with police structure. And the second part of this ballot measure is that the police commissioner. So so what happens is that this board reviews conduct and then makes a recommendation to the police department what they should do in this you know, police officer's misconduct case. And if the police department chooses not to go with their recommendation, now that this ballot measure has added this amendment, the police commissioner has to explain to the board why their disciplinary recommendations have not been followed. Third, the two-year lobbying ban. So before this ballot measure, in New York City, elected officials and senior appointed officials had to wait one year before lobbying in the city. Um, now this is expe- extended to two years, which is you know still not not an amazingly long time, but it's better than what we had. And the another important point is that it still only applies to the office that that person was in. Um, so they can still be a lobbyist after they leave office. They just can't lobby for that specific government agency that they worked in. And uh, another thing it did was, expand the conflicts of interest board uh, restrictions so there's a board called the conflict of interest board and it's in the city and it's supposed to review possible conflicts of interest between government agencies and private interests this ballot measure added some restrictions to members of that board they cannot be involved in any city office campaigns and they also can't it also adds caps to their contributions to com- political campaigns to make you know to reduce conflict of interest among the conflict of interest board the fourth thing the rainy day fund so the rainy day fund is an interesting city charter amendment because it's kind of addressing a different aspect of the city charter that is causing a problem. But you wouldn't really think of it as causing a problem. So what the issue is, is that the city charter of New York City actually has one of the strictest balanced budget requirements of any uh, municipality. And what it says is that any kind of spending on government services has to be paid for by revenue generated in that same year. right? So you can't even take using a tax to pay for a service versus using a a cut to pay for a service. But this is saying that you can't even use, like, a tax from a previous year to pay for something the next year. So what the Rainy Rainy Day Fund would do was allow—it allows the city government to keep revenue that is generated during times of economic prosperity and keep it in basically a savings account to be used for later times of economic downturn.
0: And the fifth measure?
1: Fifth is the— the Community Board Review of Uniform Land Use Review Procedure Changes. The Uniform Land Use Review Procedure is going to be like a trigger word for anyone who's involved in local politics in New York because it basically it's the cause of a lot of issues in, at the local level, at the community board level. So what the Uniform Land Use Review Procedure is, is that if, there, if the city wants to implement any kind of zoning change, there is a, a seven-month review procedure for this change that has to go through basically every level of incredible amount of bureaucracy to get zoning changes passed. Um, and what this does is it adds another level to it that now the community boards and the borough presidents of any relevant areas that are being affected by zoning law changes have to be notified 30 days before this becomes available for public review.
0: Now that we've talked about New York, though, I think it's time to move on and talk about the rest of the United States. So what happened in Kentucky?
1: So Kentucky, the governor's race in Kentucky was won by a Democrat (laughs) by very close margins.
0: Yeah. So in order to put perspective, Kentucky is a state that almost never goes blue.
1: It it went to to Trump by 30 percent in the 2016 election.
0: Yeah. So... That just goes to show just how red Kentucky is. And the fact that a blue Democrat is now sitting in the governor's office is an important change that a lot of people think should send warning signs to the White House.
1: Now, Mitch McConnell better be watching out. But this guy, even though he does have a D next to his name, is not particularly progressive because this is still Kentucky we're talking about here. And also an important thing to note is that he only won by a it was a very close margin. He only had a 90, a 49.2 percent share of the vote, which means he doesn't actually have a mandate. And he's going to face a lot of pressure from the state Senate and the state representatives in Kentucky because of that.
0: Going off of pressure on the now lame duck governor is Bevan, who is actually calling for a re of the state because the margin of the election was so close that he believes that the votes may have been miscounted. And he has still yet to concede. So as we record this, it is Thursday, which means two days after the election, he has yet to concede. The winner, Bashir, said that he was waiting for Bevin to act honorably and concede the victory and help him with his transition. But that was definitely not the case. No,
1: he chose to be a sore loser instead. One more important thing to note about, about the, the Kentucky election is that it had a record turnout for a, um, you know, a, a non-presidential election year. Uh, four and a half million people voted in the Kentucky election and one and a half million people voted in Kentucky and the entire state has a population of four and a half million. So not including 4% of the the population, which is felons who can't vote, not including people who are underage and can't vote. That's a massive amount of voter turnout.
0: Just to put that in perspective, voter turnout on non-election years is usually record low. So in the United States, it is already very difficult to get above 50% voter turnout for a presidential year. So the fact that there were so many voters who came out and voted in the Kentucky race just goes to show how the political climate has changed and how perhaps... The United States is going into a new period, perhaps brought on by Donald Trump. Now that we talked about Kentucky, it's probably important to touch on Virginia. So Virginia, for the first time in 26 years, is fully blue.
1: House, Senate and governor.
0: Again, as we mentioned before, the Democratic win in Kentucky is also a really big signal that a lot of people are saying should be sending warning signs to the White House. But similarly, this Virginia victory that has it all being blue is also an enormous tell for what might come in the 2020 election. Stay tuned with us as we continue to cover the primaries and what will happen in 2020. Finally, my home state of Ohio.
1: What's going on in Ohio?
0: I say home very lightly. Do not. I do not claim Ohio.
1: Oh, OK. Is this a new development or?
0: No, 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 no. Never claimed Ohio. Okay. <laughs> so, Arya, why don't you tell us what's happening in Ohio?
1: So, there is currently an investigation into possible election fraud during um, a specific town in Ohio called uh, Marion.
0: Marion is probably 10 minutes from my house. Cool. So I love to know that the people in my vicinity are giving fraudulent elections.
1: So what happened was a Republican Party official and a Republican candidate for a Marion City office have been charged with distributing phony sample ballots, which is not a very harsh charge. I mean, it's still only a misdemeanor. But let's explain what a sample ballot is. Is basically, if you're working on an election. Let's say you're canvassing. Right. You could hand out or mail these to people's houses, hand out people, quote unquote, sample ballots. And it's supposed to be like a voter turnout, voter education thing where you're showing people. All right. This is what the ballots supposed to look like. This is where the offices are going to be listed in the candidates. And, you know, follow it up with something. We don't care who you vote for. We just want you to vote. Right. But there are specific rules as to how sample ballots can be printed. And basically, these two people, the the sample ballots that they were handing out did not follow those rules. They had the Republican candidates on the ballot highlighted. It's
0: kind of funny because I used to canvas in Ohio and I used to give out sample ballots, too. So this one especially touches close to home, literally close to home, 10 minutes close to home, someone could say.
1: (laughs) Currently, there's an investigation uh, into whether the Marion County Republican Party broke the law with these sample ballots. We don't know what the results of that investigation are yet.
0: It's government, so we'll find out in 2023, probably. (laughs) And as we wrap up this podcast, I think it's important to talk about polling as we usually do. We can't talk about polling from the election that just happened, so we are going back to our primary roots. And we're going to talk about how the Democratic candidates are doing today in their race to 2020. First and foremost, we have Joe Biden, who is still at the top. Is this boring for everyone else? Because this is boring for me. Joe Biden still at the top with 28.3 percent of the vote. Then we have Warren still steadily decreasing at 20.6. Decreasing. Yeah. So she last week, we said she was at 23. The week before, she was at 26. And right now we are at 20 percent.
1: Come on, Liz. Watch out.
0: After that, we have Sanders, who rose to 17.6% this week. Then we have Buttigieg, who is at 7%, same as last week, but still higher than his usual polling. Mm-hmm. Harris, who's at 4.5. Klobuchar, who is at 2.6. Booker, 2.3. Yang, 2.3. And then I'm going to stop saying names.
1: I think uh, Buttigieg is interesting because nationally, you know, he's still he's still in fourth place, but he's only polling at around 7% nationally. Um, whereas in Iowa, our first caucus... He's doing incredibly well. Uh, he's in second place, second only to, to Biden. Why do Iowans love him so much?
0: I I honestly couldn't tell you. I do think, however, that he will not make it through Iowa.
1: That's true. I mean, there's still 190-something days until the until the Iowa caucus. Yeah. We, Plenty of time.
0: One thing that I think is important to note that I was actually really upset that we couldn't talk about last week because we've recorded too early is that Beto O'Rourke is no longer running for yes, 2020. Yes.
1: Yes, Beto dropped out.
0: Yeah, I... I actually talked to Ari about it the day after and said that we could have recorded the podcast just one day later and we would have had this beautiful snippet in our headlines piece, but that just didn't happen.
1: No. Well, you think he's going to go back to Texas politics?
0: I I honestly don't know. If I were Beto, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But I feel like-
1: Book deal? For sure.
0: Oh, for sure. 100%. 100%. I think it's going to be called something like standing on tables, how <laughs> I ran for 2020, <laughs> something like that. But I think that it's really interesting to think about how Beto said that he- didn't like where the election was going, and he cited that as one of his reasons why he was dropping out.
1: I wouldn't like where the election was going if I were losing either.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? I think that a lot of candidates down the line are going to have to start coming to terms with that. I'm not going to name names, but, you know, we're basically at our top five right now. To our viewers from the U.K., from the United States, and France, this has been 2020 Vision for this week. I'm Liliana Beauchet
1: And this is Ariya
0: And we'll see you next week.
1: If you listen to the .org stream, stay tuned right now for The Spotlight, a general news talk show.
0: Have a good one.